Hello and welcome to Pitch Masters, your weekly dose of savvy sales psychology and unmissable lessons in how to win business. This week I interview Hella Williams, Senior Sales Executive at Sajeti. Hello, Hella Williams. What an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you? Please give us a little introduction for those listeners who may not know who you are. Well, hello, Danny, and thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm super amazing about the conversations we're going to have today, and, and hopefully I can somehow get somebody else to reflect more on how to pitch better or become the better themselves. Love it. So give me a bit about your background. You are um, a senior sales executive at Sajeti. How did you get there? What was your journey? Oh, the journey, I think it's 20 years from now since I started within sales. Uh, started up back in the old days, picking up the phone, selling memories and CPUs and those kind of conversations, cold calling. And kind of quickly it realized I preferred relations and conversations rather than just, just quick selling. Um, mm. So I moved towards the more account manager role. Um, where you, of course, need to understand the client's need, the customer's needs, and you need to have more questions and conversations to get to know them. And that, of course, led me to having bigger deals, and then you become the key account manager. Uh, and I think my role today is just a modern version of the key account management because it's still the same things you actually do. Um, maybe pitching on higher levels to the sea levels, uh, which is super exciting. Um, a little bit nerve wracking, I would say, uh, but it's so, so much, uh, how do you express it? I mean, you learn so much based on mm. the questions they ask you in a pitch like that. You could probably put me in one of those boxes where you use the selling with the emotional intelligence is for mm. me very important. And I think also having the inclusive selling approach uh, where you, I think they touch each other, but I think having understanding of these different approaches is very important for me, at least that works best for me. And do you think that sales in general has changed and evolved since you started out you know 20 years ago cold calling yes i would definitely say it's changed i mean nowadays we talk a lot about time and time management and you need to respect our time of course you need to you needed to do that before also but it is you need to do more homework i would say right and i really need to do my my homework and research and diligence on the companies and the individuals I'm investing time in, in order to show them the respect that I've done my homework, being in a meeting with them. I do know about some of their concerns. They might be public or neither they express that they will invest in digitalizations or, you know, it could be sustainability questions. Yeah, the questions are broad, but you need to do that invest that time and I would recommend every salesperson to at least spend an hour a day to stay on topic on trends I mean there are some 
very good different kind of sites where you I typically go and search for the trends for the CIOs because those are the one with the biggest bud biggest budgets mm-hmm. these days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and I mean for this year it's all about the data. You need to understand your data and it's all about the sustainability. So you need to understand and to be able to reflect that you understand their focus in the conversation you're having with in these client meetings. So if they're having uh, focus on different goals within the UN, it could be talking about them or just telling them that you are aware of it because it's it becomes much more simple to open a conversation when you've done your homework in these meetings. Mm. So for those people who are perhaps new to sales or new to pitching, can you break it down a, a little bit more then? Because I think research is really important. How do you have a process that you go through? If let's say um, Coca-Cola said, you know, we've got this opportunity. What what kind of research specifically would you do? How would you go about it? So I would probably start with the individual or the individuals that I will. I know I will be meeting in the meeting and look at their LinkedIn profiles, their backgrounds, doing spending a lot of time on there, uh, understanding their roles within the organization and maybe also kind of reach out to my own network if I have someone that are connected to the person or know something about the person in order to understand their agendas because Mm. it all comes down to the person you will be meeting to has an agenda what is that agenda you need to figure that out as soon as you can I think and that's when you talk in terms when you get to the position when you're working as a key account manager, you need to have to find that fox. It's actually mm. named as a fox because you need to know that person that will trigger your ambitions within the client or that can tell you things that you don't know. So always finding different foxes within the client. So for the if you mentioned Coca-Cola that I never worked with, I would probably look at LinkedIn, see if I can find people that I connected with. I would probably have someone and start asking questions that way. Questions, questions, questions. What kind of questions would you be asking? I think I'm, uh, me being maybe too transparent or open, I, I would say, I'm being honest. I mean, I would probably say that I have an opportunity for this meeting. I'm trying to understand the organization better. I'm trying to understand the ambition and uh, for the meeting and what the expectations are. I mean, the expectations are also something you need to consider before pitching. Um, so I would probably ask around those topics, trying to figure that out before preparing for a pitch. So where, where do you think the line is between sort of finding out exactly what they expect and what's on their agenda and putting forward the messages that you want to get across yes. to them? How do you kind of find that middle ground? I think that this is also reflects on having the respect for other people's time. But if I, I, if I would receive an invite for such pitch, I would rather than just go pitching broad, ask for a pre-meeting where I could ask these questions and not being afraid of having such meeting because somehow it it will always be better if it's prepared and you know what you're pitching towards and making mm. sure asking these questions in such meeting, I think. And if you couldn't get a meeting and if you didn't have any pre-existing relationships, 
Do you think it's still possible to win pitches and win work? Oh, that's a good question. I think in that case, they expected a pitch. I would probably keep having a very broad presentation and I would probably start the pitch with having a conversation and trying mm. to have them talking about expectations or what they would like to achieve with whatever they're buying from me. So I can in that meeting, maybe point out the most important things based on what they've asked for or mentioned in that meeting. Um, but I think I would say it's hard to pitch if you never met. Obviously, pitching is a broad topic and kind of we're already jumping in a little bit to the, the research and the beginning of the pitch kind of thing. You, I know, have done a ton of pitches. And <laughs> yes. Some of them are really big as well. You know, many, many multiples of millions of, of pounds or dollars. Do you have um, sort of a preset? process that you follow or do you follow your intuition with these things i would say both ways because it depends on the situation and how well i know the client as a account executive i only work with three different clients so it's Mm. it's not so much new people it's mostly of having and when having a role like this you're more becoming an advisory than you are a salesperson Mm. or let me take that back. That's what I would like to be seen as. Not the selling person that the advice you that they come to when they have something on their mind or are struggling with something they know would like to have conversations with me about how to solve problems. And of course, being proactive in sales, but also being an advisory, you would have to ask questions. And you know you need to know what questions to ask. And this is where I think why I love working with sales because it's it's so much about the bigger pictures and conversation. Me as an individual, I'm a very personal. I, I like to have my relationships on a personal level. I might know their husband's name or their kid's name or what school they are too because I like that's how it works good for me. Uh, maybe not such Swedish typical way of doing sales. And maybe I bought that from working with sales with the US. I'm not sure, but I think it's it's nice. And it, I prefer that kind of sales. Let, let's talk about Sweden for a second. Yeah. You, you've, you've worked all over the world. Do you What, what do you think specifically is um, perhaps unique about the way that you sell in Sweden? What are the, what are the cultural differences and expectations? Oh, I love that question. Good one. Um, I think in general in Sweden, you don't like to be so on a personal level. And of course, I've, I've, I've had situations where the people doesn't want to answer to it when you're trying to have that conversation. And, and there have changed a lot. I think the generation changes. Of course, uh, we are being more open and social today than we were 40 years ago, meeting more. Um, so I think it's a more, um, modern way of seeing it, that you mm. are more open about telling if you're not feeling okay, you have the entire approach within the landscape of diversity, be who you are, stay true to yourself. And I mean, those kind of 
modern things that's happened makes it such more easier to have these conversations than it was 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm more comfortable asking such personal questions today than I was like 20 years ago, I would say. Right. I've done a little bit of work in Sweden, but we, we've also, you and I have a mutual friend, Kaiser Vestman, who um, introduced us. Yeah. And certainly through her working in the UK, she's pointed out quite a few differences. Um, and I think it boils down really to confrontation. Do you think the Swedes are less into confrontation yes, than other people? they countries? don't like that. They don't like no, it. No, <laughs> they don't like that. But that's what you need to do. I mean, talking about relationships, uh, it's, I, I prefer the word wrestling rather than confrontation because you would see mm. that it's not about a fight who wins and who's not winning. It's about getting to know each other. The confrontation might be a little bit, ooh, no, but rather saying that I would like to wrestle you because I would like to know how you are as a person. Coming back to kind of the 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 process that you go through then so when you start out you do a lot of research and you ask a lot of questions and in your case you've probably got pre-existing relationships so I assume there's an element of existing trust in there as an advisor as well and I think certainly in our industry in the kind of IT consultancy industry one of the things we're always trying to convey is you can trust us to do this work do you have any thoughts on how you can create that genuine trust from a client between yourself? Yes. That's also a very good question. I think that's the most one of the most important questions to ask is how I create that awareness in between the relationship between the client and me. And I think for me, I would probably go to show interest in the buyers the client's team and making mm. sure to invest that they always stay relevant it could be inspirational workshops it could be just like a, a session where they get inspired so they become the better themselves within that organization it's a lot of be being proactive and always sharing because sharing is caring and i think i, I recently got introduced to Two in a box. Okay. And two in a box actually means that when you're working as a partner or advisory, you would prefer that we sit in this boat together. So mm. you have one, I have one. Let's do this together. Two in a box. And working towards the two in a box, if you have a the buyer who's buying a project, uh, delivering, whatever it could be, but making sure to touch base, involve the team, uh quickly receive feedback feedback is so important uh, no whether doesn't matter what you're doing you need to ask for that feedback in order to stay relevant and making sure you're doing the right things and by asking for feedback you you, you actually find whether or not they're interested or maybe their lack of interest and if there's lack of interest then you would probably go back to the client and talk to the client about it that they're maybe not on the same boat hmm. and what you could do to get their interest or I mean it's a conversations conversation conversations so how do you spark someone's interest if there's something that you think is genuinely beneficial to them but they're just not really feeling the same way that you do 
um, <laughs> I think becoming 40 plus now, I would just ask why, why they're not interested. Right. And not being ashamed of asking why, because it's important for their manager or the corporate. Why, why it's not important to the individual. Again, coming back to the process, let's, let's assume you've got a, a you've done enough. You've gone outside of what's expected to show that trust. And perhaps you're doing this two in the box model so that you feel like you're on the same team rather than kind of competing sides. Mm. But there's a big opportunity coming up and you've got two weeks to assemble a team and deliver a 90 minute pitch that blows the client away in a competitive landscape. <laughs> what do you do next? Oh, two weeks, a uh, big deal. I would probably uh, collect my peers, um, making sure I have at least one peer that's not as close to me um, for reflection, because if you only have two weeks, it's probably going to be very focused and you're mm. probably going to focus on details on how to win the deal. And then reflecting and stepping back is not your strong side with that short notice. So I would probably bring somebody from not so close to my network to be asking questions so I can quick realize if I'm uh, staying on a topic or not. Mm. And of course, having a designer or creative people, uh, but that's I'm trying to have them daily around me. So that's interesting. That's certainly obviously a topic close to my heart, being a creative director. I think that often creative gets thought of as make it pretty mm. after you've done all the work, right? In that two-week period, we'll we'll make sure we leave 24 hours at the end so the designers <laughs> can <laughs> sprinkle their magic fairy dust. And that's a real <laughs> phrase I've actually heard many times before. How do you avoid that? How do you how do you sort of leverage creatives and use them to to their best ability so this is actually a, a topic that comes close to my heart because i would if you would ask me this three years ago i would not respond it like i just did right. and of course that comes because i work with kaisa she as a designer me as a salesperson in it uh in it it's mostly men working and yeah. the presentation that you are you're giving or you receive from the HR or branding or communications, they are probably talking a lot about storytelling in their kind of way, but they're not having the outside in perspective. And I think working with Kaisa and closer to designers, I realized I need to have that more into my consideration in my conversations, in my material in general. So I think for me, it's 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 really about the outside and in perspective, and not telling what I have on my smörgåsbord, as we say in Sweden. Yeah. So so tell me more about the outside in perspective. What what exactly do you mean? Break it down for me. Okay. So I would say normally you will probably have a presentation telling that this is our services, this is what we can do, this is where we are best in class, and of course that's good to know. But you could probably also find that on the website. Again, coming back to if I have a meeting, one hour meeting or 45 minutes with a person that I never met or uh, maybe just met once, you know, I would <laughs> making sure that I understand their perspective, what their interests are and not what I can provide them, but how I, in order for me to answer on how I can help them, I need to know what help mm. they need. Mm. 
So it's, I, and then it, it, it all comes back to it, questions. You need to ask questions. And I think uh, it's two years ago, I came over a book. It's called The Book of Beautiful Questions. It's by Warren mm. Berger. And it really brings it up. It takes these things in such a good manner where you actually get to understand the impact of questions and how you should prepare your questions for the meetings. And not only having ad hoc questions, of course, those can be good and you could set the direction in the conversation by asking ad hoc questions, but you should prepare your questions before going into meeting. What questions should you ask? Not only if you're asking, you will get an answer, but you're showing interest. And by mm. asking questions and showing interest, everybody loves to talk about themselves and their organizations. So right. by preparing those questions, you will probably get much longer than not asking questions and just having a presentation where you will stand and talk in 40 minutes. Ugh, those mm. are the worst ones. Yeah. So how do you, again, for, for those people thinking, okay, the concept of asking questions makes sense, but how do I know if I'm asking the right questions? Yeah. How do you prepare questions? How do you know what to ask? Research. Again, it comes yeah. back to preparing yourself and do your research on the people you will meet. Um, I, I would maybe also add reaching out to peers in within the organization if you know others within the organization. Again, that do your research, trying to understand... I, sometimes I even take it to that level that I actually are Googling their names in order to see if they are, have their kids in uh, football or, you know, just to... So it's more it's more personal questions, yes. you think? Yes. So you're trying to get to, to know them rather than treating them as a cash machine. Yeah. You're, you're treating them as a person with yes. feelings and emotions. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned emotions. How do you, again, to make that emotional connection, is it still all about the questions? Um, I think it's question and how I prefer my relationships in general. Um, staying open and being open. It could be having questions in order to understand them with my agenda, but also in order to understand in what direction I should go. I think I've had a few now, actually situations where they have canceled meetings and being honest about my mother died or my daughter mm -hmm. fell from the bike and I need to go to the emergency. And I mean, being able to respond to such uh, email or conversation with take care of family goes first. I mean, mm. that lies so close to my own heart. So I think I would love all my contacts, Mike, listening to this, that that's what I believe in. So it's more than just asking them about their kids and their family. It's mm -hmm. about making yourself vulnerable as well to yeah. some extent. I would say that's important. I mean, uh, me having a kid as a 22-year-old, being by myself the first three years, um, and having to... I wouldn't say struggle because I haven't struggled, but I I have fight it a lot. I would say as a mm. woman within IT, and that young as I was also, um, but I always wanted to show people how good I am and being my better version of myself. 
and it's still on my daily agenda. Never stop and never just settle down and be okay. I could always become better. It doesn't matter in what topic, if it's sales, as a mother, as a football player, as a runner, you could always invest more time and become your better. So let's talk a bit now about being a woman in IT. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a male-dominated industry. And yes, you know, there's movements within individual companies to, to supposedly and hopefully rectify this. And you can see by my list of guests over the episodes that it's very male-dominated, which is not something that I'm actually particularly comfortable with because I believe in diversity and inclusivity. Tell me a bit more about your experience. How do you think you've had to do things differently to a man in the same position as yourself? So um, it's a good topic and it's most relevant. I think it's more different to answer to it because I grew up with my father and my brother not having a mother in my life, which also... Uh, of course, my chose of uh, work, of course, within IT is because my dad worked within the engineering industry. And it's right. always been so close to me. Um, having a dad who supported me through my whole career um, has also, I could mention an example. I worked for a big company in Copenhagen. And they are organized. So you had one organization working towards the large globally accounts. And you have another department working to small medium businesses and i was working within the small medium businesses and we would receive lists of companies that we should try to make deals with and i got a a, a company that was uh, pretty new into sweden it was a germany company um but globally a lot bigger and i somehow i got i ended up with a major deal where this German company globally would change their supplier to my kind of, or to my, mm. to my companies. And it was such a major deal. And of course I'm a salesperson. I receive bonuses on what I do sale. And um, my manager called me and said, we need to have a talk. Okay. I went to the meeting and he said to me, there has happened some kind of misunderstanding within the organization. So they're moving this account to the large global accounts. And there's nothing I can do about it. And I was like, but I will receive my bonus, right? And he goes like, no, you will not. Wow. And that day I was 27. I went down to the toilet. I called my dad. And I cried because I got, I felt so stamped on. Mm. And my dad told me, you know what? Just go up and tell, show them the finger and get the fuck out of there. <laughs> I did. I did. Wow. Wow. And to answer your question is that if I was a man, I would probably have struggled more. Right? I would not just give them the finger. I would probably make rather bigger noise than I did. So I think when being a woman within IT, that specific situation has really done that I should not 
just be okay with situations. Right. If there's a situation where I'm not okay, I should comment on it, which I do. Yeah. And I think you more women and men can questionize situations that you will probably recognize that this would not be done by women. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that a lot of organizations are so hierarchical and also a lot of consultants join as graduates and that's all they've ever known. So yeah. they go from full-time education for 15, 20 years right into a hierarchy that they feel I must do what I'm told. And if someone decides to shaft me, mm. then um, I will just carry on. So I, I completely agree with you that we've all got to kind of stand up and, yeah. and speak our voice. And do you have any, I'm putting you on the spot here, do you have any advice specifically for women in business, especially those who are young and dealing with middle-aged men with all the power? Um, what, what would you say to them? Oh, I think, uh, first of all, I think every woman and men should find a mentor. That's the mm. first one. You should find a mentor that you, you've, can ins be inspired from that probably have been in situations where you will be go going through. So you always have somebody to go back to and ask that question, how they tackled it or how, how they, how you should approach or how you should give feedback or whatever it might concern. But I strongly recommend young women to find that older woman that's been through it already. And you would specifically suggest finding a female mentor for if you are or a female? supporter. I mean, as a as a fox, I mentioned talked about the foxes before within the organization for your clients. You would probably want to find a supporter that would have their interest in support you. Mm. So it could be a male, it could be a woman. I, I don't see. It's more about the support. And what about so coming back to pitching then? Do you think there's differences between? the experience that men and women go through when they are standing up in front of a client, especially when the audience can be very male dominated. Do you think there's the same amount of respect or feelings or has that ever come into play? Do you think? Um, been to a few clients meetings with my peers that are male. Um, we are very different from our pitches. Um, I would say, um, maybe also on a personal level, but we are very different in how we pitches. Maybe I'm just very unique because I'm so personal and have the the entire emotional intelligence focus that's very important for me. It becomes different, uh, and I don't see maybe so much just my my point of view, or uh, I don't see so much emotional intelligence within the men industry within sales. Right. And do you think, and that's really interesting because, you know, men and women are different. That's, yeah. that's, that's uh, not a topic of debate. So do you have to change the way you pitch depending on when you're, whether you're pitching to male or females, do you think? Oh. Do you think men react to one thing differently to women? So I would say if I, as a woman pitching towards men, they will probably not give me as hard feedback if, if there's any hard feedback to give as they would to a man. Though a woman feedback to a woman is much stronger and very mm. more could be, I would say, more in person often. Mm. But the woman is more comfortable pitch giving feedback to a woman. And do you think that women 
who do rise up through the ranks of male-dominated industries are perhaps a little bit more assertive because they've had to be to get to where they are? Also, good question. Um, and I don't think I have a correct answer to it. I think I've seen them both. I think I've mm, seen them mm. who are uh, really, really trying to make a difference for the newcomers or the younger generation to be. And of course, you have them who is so blinded up because they've had to give up so much along the way. So I think it, it's hard to say what's in general. I think that they are both alive and relevant in the yeah. industry, I think. Yeah. I, I, we're all individuals, of course. Yeah. It's, it's, you can't really blanket statement, that kind of thing. You're, you're absolutely right about that. So back to the pitch. You've assembled your team. You've done your research. You've got your creatives. How do you tell a story? How do you personally compose something that you think that's going to be compelling that's going to get a reaction from our audience yes good one so i like what i've learned from design is to do the quick check-ins what mood we're in so every pitch i tend to do that i set up the meeting i'll try to ask a question that i prepared with a check-in in order to Kind of quickly, are people being stressed? Are they looking forward to something? Are they bored or whatever? Just to have the understanding what state of mind. After that, I think what at the moment I'm working on the superpower theme. Uh, Mm. So if they were to be a superman or woman, who would they be? In order to try and quickly understand how they are feeling, if it's the Hulk, oh, I'm strong, (laughs) or if it's the Superwoman, or, you know, just trying to do. So I tend to spend at least five to ten minutes on those questions, and having, and those are typical loosen up the conversation within the room. I mean, they they get to hear each other's thoughts, um, and kind of could set sets me on a situation where, where I'm in front of them, but I'm still caring and we're having fun. And after such uh, those kind of reactions or emotions, you it's kind of comfortable stepping over into the pitch. Because when I'm pitching, I typically tend to have at least on every third or fourth slide a check-in based on the conversation or do does this suit your expectations or should have done something else because I want the feedback from them. Mm. But I never do a full presentation without having questions along the way with them. And that way the pitch becomes a more inclusiveness. Again, questions and receiving feedback. And depending on how many we are in the meeting, I if there is a topic where I could might see that they're asking more questions or they are giving me more feedback, I could probably just pause the pitch and ask them to write on the board. Could you try mm. and explain? And I like to play not stupid, but asking the dumb question. So I yeah. force them to go up to the boards because what I use the board for in the end of 
the pitch is like that. Okay, so now I pitched, you've seen my presentation, you've drawn this on the board for me, and where are the majors? So if I can fix this, and then I'm drawing a circle around it, and if I could fix this, or do we agree that my pitch can fix this? I get kind of a, a knowledge in the meeting. So in that meeting, I'm actually asking for the deal. Mm, and that's interesting, yeah. Because I think I've seen a lot of brilliant pitches and presentations that end with, thank you very much. I hope you liked it. We look forward to to you being in touch. See you later. And teams almost run out the room and so that they can hug each other and high five and say, boy, oh boy, we delivered that exactly like we wanted to. Yeah. That's not quite right though, is it? No. <laughs> How would you... No. How would you? How, how do you try? T- tell me about closing. Let's talk about closing. Oh, the closing, the the, the loved ones. Uh, no, but I think uh, what works really good for me is having these touch bases in the pitch, and especially if you can get the client to write something on a board or make your own notes, uh, summarizing them in the end of the meeting, and making sure you at least have ten to fifteen minutes for that conversation. And in that conversation, ask for it. I mean, you could get a yes, you can get a no, you could have get a, we have to consider it, we don't know. But I mean- So again, for, for, for people who have never even been in this situation, what are you actually asking? What do you say to them? Have we got a deal or? Yeah, you could say, do we have a deal? What's the next step? I mean- take the role as the advisory. There's no better pitch than this pitch. If you don't think Mm. of it that way, they won't think of it. So of course you Mm. would have to assume that they will choose you. There Mm. is no better pitch. And in terms of the questions on the wall and things like that as well, Mm. are are you saying that if you are at slide three of your PowerPoint presentation Mm. and you see the opportunity to turn that into an interactive conversation, do you just abandon the PowerPoint and think, right, I'm not even going to worry about those rehearsed timings. I'm just going to jump yeah. into yes. discussion. Yeah, Conversation goes before presentation. Right, right. That's a good, uh, a good mantra to have, I think. And also on that note then, I think that adapting to feedback whilst you are in that situation, which can be quite a nerve-wracking, high-pressure situation, is really hard for a lot of people. It's kind of a classic consulting way of working, but it's hard to get good of it. You know, have you got any advice for people? Is it just about practice, practice and throwing yourself in at the deep end or? Yes, I would say because the feedback will always be different depending on who it comes from. And Mm. depending on who it comes from, it might be relevant or not relevant because not all feedback is relevant to you. And the feedback could be about a misunderstanding, about me not being clear enough in my message. Uh, so I think in general, I, I recommend everyone to be open about receiving feedback and not seeing it as a negative thing, rather seeing it and using it as a reflection. So I, for mm. me, feedback is not negative. <laughs> no, not at all. It's just the trick is how do you, in the moment, think on your feet and change the direction potentially of of where things are going based on that feedback. 
I, I, it's a good question, but for I think my personality uh, are struggling with answering to it because it's not a problem for me. Right. Okay. It just comes naturally. To yes. You. Has it always come naturally to you? Uh, when it doesn't come natural, if receiving a question or feedback that I can't respond to, I prefer just pause it and say that I, I, I can't answer to it uh, or mm. excuse myself or maybe it's a mismatch on my communication and referring to it, I will get back to them as soon as I know the, the answer to it. And I think that actually that's quite important advice. That's not a throwaway statement. I've seen many times and in my younger days, I have been guilty of this as well. A client asks you a question, you don't know the answer, and your mouth just starts moving and words just start coming out. And <laughs> you can really dig yourself into a hole that way. Yeah, no. So be honest about yourself and the situation. If you don't know the answer to it, you shouldn't respond to it. And what superhero would you be? Oh, today? I'm super... <laughs> oh, good one. I know I think today I'm Hulk, also standing You're in the green Hulk. room. Today I feel like Hulk, yeah. <laughs> Excellent, I like that. So we mentioned that pitches can be a high pressure situation. And you've mentioned that actually a lot of your work is not only got a high dollar value, but you're also pitching to the C-suite. Yeah. Do you ever get nervous? Yes, nervous is good. Yeah. It's a sanity check for if you're still trying to do something good or better yes i do get nervous um and it can be handled in different ways um sometimes i i spend three to five minutes on pods having like inspiring sessions or like motivation speeches uh, sometimes i call a good friend uh mm. or my husband who is my biggest supporter in life um but no i, I it's uh, you could do it in different ways and different situations needs different preparations have you got any recommendations for those kind of motivational places or podcasts that you listen to oh there are so many of them i think if you just go to spotify and search for motivation speeches and pods there will be plenty of them um i don't have right. a, f a favorite specific uh it tends to be uh, is it a motivation of uh, staying like getting a lot of energy or is it a motivation about I know this is gonna it's gonna be a hard situation or a meeting I'm not feeling comfortable in so uh, there's so much different kind of motivation speeches you can look for depending on the situation so let's assume that you have compose yourself and you've you're okay with your nerves you've got just the right amount of adrenaline motivation what about the rest of the team especially if you're you know often one of the most senior people on the team how do you work to make sure they are in the right mental space before a pitch oh that's a good question i think uh, it comes back to time and preparation and i would probably suggest to meet before the meeting and just having questions about how it feels and making sure that during our preparations we have that openness within the team that we can say stop or go or I'm not okay today I need to focus or my focus is something on somewhere else mm. um, again openness conversation. how important 
are the inter-team relationships before a pitch, do you think? Oh, very important. Alignment, alignment, alignment. I, I Again, I've been in the, in, in the situation where a pitch team are meeting for the first time on the morning of oh. the big pitch, of course. And um, you can just, the client just knows. It's almost yeah. a feeling and energy and atmosphere in the room, isn't it? Yes. And I think even more now, I mean, for the past 15 years or 20 years, we have the entire agile thinking model. I mm. mean, and that's mm. very much about the culture and the team to handle things by themselves, work close and making sure you have those agile coaches or scrum masters to making sure that the team delivery is not interfered by product owners or detail oriented people. I think that in general, we are becoming more aware of the importance of uh, speak out and be open and, and communication. So here's an interesting question that I, I is a challenge I face on a daily basis. So I work for IBM, you work for Sujeti, we're always up against Accenture and Deloitte <laughs> and Infosys and PwC and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, sometimes the request from the client might not have much room for differentiation in it. And if we're not careful, the whole lot of us end up competing on price and competing as a commodity. Mm. And actually what makes that even more difficult is we're not privy to the costs that the others are putting in or, or the client budget that they're aiming for. So how do you deal with that? Do you, do you try and get prices down? Uh, costs down as much as possible or do you find ways of differentiating to show that extra value that your company might provide this is a good question and uh, i think that there's there could be different answers no i don't cut prices no no, mm. no no we need to earn our money and we need to be able to reinvest in our people within the organization, making sure they can stay relevant with certifications and those are costfully and the client to be able to be relevant to the client. So I think if there is a situation where the price is the issue, may, that's maybe not the last few years where I think I've lost my deals based on, um, rather than bad pitching or a better competitor better pitches mm. done by others i think that it's uh, I, I think i remember numbers like 70 percent of bigger deals are taken based on the relationship or how mm. they felt we could align or partnerships rather than one company showing another company so i'm, I'm not sure if i um I, I maybe don't agree because I haven't been in a situation you just explained the past few years. Um, I rather see that today management are willing to pay because they know that mm. employee employers need to stay relevant to the market. We have a need only in Sweden where we, I think the latest numbers within Sweden is that we're lacking 60,000 individuals within IT to, to stay wow relevant to the market needs and all the transformations we're going through. And I think the numbers are even bigger within the EU. So wow. no, you have, I mean, and I mean, most of the companies that are buying our services, they are reaching out to us because they can't employ them themselves. They can't find them. They, they can't attract them. 
I mean, so they, they, I feel that there's a bigger awareness of that today. So I, I, I agree with you. I think if you can make, make your audience feel like they trust you and they believe in you, that's often enough for them to, to pay the premium, yeah. I think. Yep. But in a world where pandemics wipe out all face-to-face meetings, yeah. how much does that affect it? Because oh. it's harder to get feelings and emotions across over a Zoom call. I think those two years was the hardest one for me mentally. Um, mm. First of all, I have a very big need of networking and socializing and sitting home uh, every day with my husband, <laughs> working from one room and me from another room, I, I got really affected. Uh, I'd had to do invest a lot of time in mental preparation and going another direction in order to how to engage with the clients online, uh, try it out with, you know, so many different things, how it worked for me. And to be honest, it, it didn't work for me. It's, I mm. mean, I, I had the worst year ever as a salesperson during the pandemic. Yeah. It was so hard. So mm. I, 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 I can't, I mean, I pr- totally prefer in person, um, at the office, I'm in our green room. Um, but no, it was, it was terrible. Um, so I don't have any recommendations. <laughs> Just cross our fingers. It doesn't happen again. Yes. Kind of like that. Cause I completely agree with you on that one. Yeah. So do you have a, a favorite memory of a pitch? A favorite memory of a pitch. So I think that uh, one favorite memory was when me and Kaisa pitched to uh, a local company uh, where we were supposed to deliver on the pitch also. And they actually more or less in the meeting said that they wanted us. Wow. Uh, then the pandemic came and it didn't become What anything, do you think but... you did that made them say, we don't even want to see anyone else? I think the creativity that Kaisa shows and me having the tech focus and directions, what they could do and asking those, I love the provoking questions, of course. What if you could do like this? And then they start to think about it. And Kaisa could catch me asking that question quickly and, and we could do it like this. And that was such a, I had so much energy after such meeting. Yeah. So the stars are aligned and, and it sounds like, Again, having that really strong existing relationship with your teammate yeah. allows you to bounce back and forth, and yeah, and it gives a lot of energy. I mean, it's having if you know your team member and you go to the client, you show you come with confidence first of all and alignment, and it tends to just the client will be more impressed. So I've got to ask. Maybe it's the sadist in me, but do you have any? nightmare pitch stories anytime it's not gone to plan and any lessons learned (laughs) i do so i think if you're working on a pitch within a team or if it's just you and another person you need to do the rehearsal you need to do the pre-pitching and line on who should say what on what slide and the topics and the message on the topic of course because the message is the most important thing. I had a situation actually where me and another person should were supposed to pitch. 
we did the alignment the day before. Then he thought he came up with some super cool ideas that he wanted to share with, with the clients. So he, he took them in. And of course, some of those ideas were kind of overlapping some of the messages we had agreed on. But it ended so bad that the client actually said in the meeting, oh, this is what, what we did, did not expect. Right. Uh, we thought you were going to show us that one. Yeah. Then I had to like, uh, yeah, yeah. And this is where you have the feedback. And it's like, I just wanted to, um, no, I, I just realized in that meeting, I just had to say, okay, let me go back and I'll come back to you. And can you, can you recover? Did you recover from that situation? We haven't, uh, relationships, yes, uh, still buying um, for that specific project no not yet but we're having conversations yeah. still they haven't found another supplier so don't show off your ideas to your own team for the first time in the pitch no that is the lesson kind of like that <laughs> you should also yeah. Uh, yeah and don't change pitches when you're aligned and agreed on them what about innovative pitches so when most people think of pitches they think of either someone just talking or uh, someone talking two slides. Mm. And I think, I certainly think there's a lot more that we, we can do. I mean, the, we work in the technology world mm. and there's so much technology out there. Have you ever used or seen any examples of, of doing something a bit more innovative, a bit more different? I, I think <clears throat> um, what, I'm, <laughs> not, what I'm trying or I'm experimenting with at the moment is having a more collaborative pitching on the topic innovation that could include metaverse or nfts mm. you know those kind of blockchain because pitching within those kind of bigger topics it's really hard because uh, no i i don't believe in pitching too much within that i'd rather see collaboration with the client in workshops mm. and those workshops can generate pitches but those pitches are mostly for the buyer to go up to with their management mm. so i would say to innovate more you need to collaborate more with the client to be able to pitch more innovative projects and can you envisage a time in the future where we're all pitching to each other in the metaverse oh that sounds so cool looking forward to it <laughs> Yes. Yeah, most definitely. Yes. Um, yes. I, I think that if you're not looking into the metaverse at the moment, uh, there will be a big risk that you won't be relevant within 10 years. So are there any books in particular that you would you would recommend to listeners that have changed the way that you kind of think and the way that you work? So I think I did mention it, but I, I'll mention it again because I really think it's relevant to today's pod and the topic we have talked about. And that's the book of beautiful questions by Warren Berger. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's a super good book. Uh, it will probably be reflecting. And the nicest thing is you could, during reading it, you will be able to practice on what you're reading on in your daily works 
So I like mm. when when you're giving the opportunity when you're reading books that you could apply directly and you don't have to read the entire book or wait for a certification to apply mm. what your your new learnings. So Helen, thank you so much for coming on the pod. I've really enjoyed it. Before we say our final goodbyes, do you have any words of wisdom or advice perhaps for those people or at any point of their career actually? It doesn't have to be for for new starters. What what would you say to people? Good one. I I would strongly recommend everyone to be themselves um, mm. and be the advisory when you're having conversations with the client. Uh, use your network and also open your network. Give your network to the client so they can connect and reconnect. Uh, and of course, questions. Ask many questions so you get to know the clients. All about the questions. Yes. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Danny. This has been another episode of Pitch Masters. Go to pitchguy.co.uk for updates and information or search for Pitch Guy on social media for regular videos on sales, psychology, storytelling, creativity and much more.